As you open your Bibles to Genesis 25, I'll let you know generally where we're headed. So my plan was to preach from Genesis chapter 12 uh, all the way through this chapter, Genesis 25 verse 18. So there is a a definite transition point in chapter 25 where the focus is taken off of Abraham and then put onto uh, his son Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob and Esau. Um, so we've been going through Genesis since the time that I've been here, and the plan was to take a break now. And generally what uh, I, li- I would like to do is now we've been going through this narrative of Genesis in the Old Testament, and so the plan now is to jump into a New Testament uh, book different than a narrative so that we're getting uh, different genres of Scripture, we're getting different Testaments, we don't want to just preach all about uh, all from the New Testament. We want to have a, a good broad uh, outlook on, on the whole Bible, on what the Scripture teaches us. And so I, I like this plan. It's a plan that I got from uh, Mark Dever, basically, from Capitol Hill, of trying to go back and forth in the Testaments and also switching up the genres so that we have a broad diet of, of the Scripture. So if you want to go ahead and get prepared for next week, read through the book of James twice, five times, you know. Just soak yourself in the book of James this week as we prepare uh, to look at it together. And I think it's a great compliment to the book of Genesis. We've been seeing Abraham, the call to live by faith, and James show us what it means practically on the ground to live a life of faith. So I'm really excited about uh, jumping into that. I feel more comfortable in epistles generally, so it'll be a nice change up for me as well. This has stretched me. It's been helpful to me. Um, but I've enjoyed it as well. So we'll look this morning at Genesis 25, verses 1 through 18. The question that confronts each of us this morning, though, is this, and it confronts every human being, every person that you know in your community, in your workplace, in your family, and and it's this. Are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? Can it be said of you that you are a son of God? Or a daughter of God. Now, of course, if you ask this question of people in generally, in general, most people say, "Well, sure, I'm a child of God. Everybody is a child of God. We are all God's children." And while that is true in one sense, we have all been created by God, so we are His creatures. We are His children in that sense. But the Bible goes on to make a, a distinction between those who are. Uh, simply his children by creation, and those who are his special favored children, those who are his children by faith. Uh, we, we have seen this distinction throughout the book of Genesis so far. There's this seed of the, uh, or offspring of the woman, Eve, and then there's the seed or spiritual offspring of Satan, of the devil, of the serpent. And these two are distinguished and opposed to one another. So think about the biblical narrative so far. Abel and Cain, or you could throw Seth in there. Isaac and Ishmael were coming up on who? The set of twins, Jacob and Esau. Some are given the blessing of God, while others are sent away. Some are a part of the covenant and the family of God, and others are excluded. So are you a child of God? It won't do to just be a good person or to have a lot of money and have a good life, live the American dream, 
It's not enough to just have a good life and be at peace generally with the world and others around you. The, the question that confronts us is, are you a child of God? Do you have peace with God? And the only way you have peace with God is if you become a child of God. So consider that question as we move through the text, as we consider what God has for us here. Consider that question. Let's pray before we get into this. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word. You have promised to do so. All of our hope is in you. Our dependence is upon you. Our hope is not that I would be eloquent enough or that I would have a, a great presentation of your word. Our hope is in the power of your word and the power of the gospel as it is proclaimed. And so we pray that you would glorify yourself. Exalt Christ. Exalt your word planted in our hearts that we would be changed as you speak to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Genesis 25, 1 through 18. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Midan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shuah. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asurahim, Letushim, Lumim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephor, Hanak, Abida, and Eldah. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lehi Roy. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Adbeel, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Massa, Hadad, Tama, Jeter, Nephish, and Kedema. These are the sons of Ishmael, and their, these are their names, by their villages and by their encampments, twelve princes according to their tri- tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. <clears throat> in this passage... Isaac is singled out as the unique son of Abraham. So out of all the children, uh, all the sons that Abraham has, he alone receives the promise, he alone receives the inheritance, and he alone receives the divine blessing. This chapter moves us from the life and faith of Abraham to the life and faith of 
Isaac and the situations with his sons Jacob and Esau. But it's not just here as a stopgap. It's here for a reason. It shows the legacy of Abraham. It shows uh, God continuing to work through the seed of Abraham. He's continuing the promise. This, This is the future of God's promise to Abraham. It will be fulfilled through Isaac. And it shows the the priceless privilege of being a child of the promise. I think the author goes to great lengths to show out of all the sons, it was only Isaac who would carry on the promise, who would receive the blessing of God. This passage is made up of three main parts. Verses 1 through 6 detail Abraham's other children and the inheritance. 7 through 11 shows us Abraham's death and burial. And then in verses 12 through 18, uh, the author lists the generations of Abraham's other son, Ishmael. Now we're told that Abraham took another wife named Keturah and had sons by her. There's some disagreement here on whether this was while Sarah was living or it was after she her, her death. Uh, some say it would be ridiculous to believe that Abraham had children after Sarah Sarah died. After all, he would be 140 years old or older when he had these children. Wouldn't these children be even more miraculous than Isaac? Wasn't Isaac the child of promise? Wasn't Isaac the the supernatural conception? It would be pretty amazing, but I don't think that necessarily means that it it didn't happen this way. I have no problem uh, believing the rejuvenation of Abraham's body in the Uh, The miracle uh, of Isaac didn't continue on as he continued to have children late in age. I think we could see it as either way. Uh, The name Keturah refers to incense or spices. And the sons that you see listed here, Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, Shua, and Sheba, you maybe recognize some of those names. Many of these became place names for regions throughout the area, some to the east of the Red Sea, some in the middle Euphrates, some in the southern part of the Arabian Peninsula, and others in northwest Arabia. But the point is that they didn't stay in the land of promise. They were sent out. They spread out, and it was Abraham who sent them away. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. That's the inheritance. He gets it all. But he didn't leave the other children empty-handed. And he probably wasn't required them being sons of uh, Keturah. Uh, now here she's listed at his, as his wife. In Chronicles, she's called his concubine. He probably wasn't required to give them gifts, but we know the type of man that Abraham is. And so he, in his generosity, blesses them and gives them gifts and sends them on their way. They were not the children of promise. Only Isaac was. And so it's his inheritance, it's his land, and his rights to the inheritance must be protected. So that's why he sends away these other children. We see that Abraham lived 175 years. Notice how the author puts this. He died in a good old age, an old man and full of years. Now, nothing like this is promised to any of us, but what a way to go out. Having an abundant life, he lived to a good old age, and he he had a full life. That's how I, I want to die. Having a full, looking back over my life 
and just sing it with joy at all that God has done. It was abundant, not just in terms of quantity, but in terms of quality. It was an abundant life lived for the glory of God, lived by faith in God. He was gathered to his people. This isn't just a statement pointing to the fact that he was buried in the same place as Sarah, but rather it points to this belief early on in human history that there is something after death. Gathered to his people. Remember, in the scripture, revelation from God is progressive. So as the uh, chronology of the Bible goes on, we get more and more information. We get more information about heaven and hell. We get more information about who God is, about the Messiah. So it's this idea of progressive revelation. But even early on, at this point in time, there's a knowledge that there's something after death in which you are gathered back to your people, gathered back to your family after death. Now, can you imagine what this burial must have been like with Isaac and Ishmael? Uh, The separate lives that they have lived, separated by 13 years of age. The difficulty surrounding their relationship, it must have made for some pretty interesting conversation as they are burying their father, Abraham. Notice how the author mentions Isaac first. Isaac's not the oldest, but he is first. He's the child of promise. We read in verse 11 these amazing words. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. God blessed Isaac, his son. And Isaac settled at Beer Lahai Roy. No other blessing is made to the children of Abraham. Isaac gets the inheritance. He gets the land of promise. He gets the blessing of God himself. And then finally notice the generations of Ishmael in verses 12 through 18. It's interesting that the author gives this genealogy. He's not the son of promise. He's not the child of promise. He's not in the covenant family. And yet... This shows that he and his sons, he and his offspring will play a significant role in the relationship to the people of promise and really throughout world history. Ishmael, along with many of the other sons of Abraham, and their offspring become enemies and rivals to the people of God. This is a part of the consequences of Abraham's actions of having a child with Hagar. And let me remind you, this offspring of Ishmael is a part of the promise of God. Remember, God had promised Ishmael, you too will be a great nation. I will make you into a great nation. There would be 12 tribes of Ishmael to rival the 12 tribes of the people of God, of Israel. He, Ishmael and his offspring, as the prophecy was told earlier, would settle over against all his kinsmen. Now, this is what the text is saying. This is the textual theme. Namely, that God singles out Isaac alone as the son of promise. He gets the inheritance. He gets the land. He gets the blessing of God. But So you might have wondered, well, what does this have to do with us? Well, first of all, in the broad scope of history, this is God fulfilling his plan, continuing to fulfill his promises to Abraham, whom he called out, whom he said, I will bless you, and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. He's continuing his promise. But there's another prominent lesson here that I want to focus on, and it's this. 
it's what a priceless privilege it is to be a child of promise, to be a child of God. That's Isaac. Isaac is the child of promise. And what a privilege that is. All of Abraham's children are blessed, no doubt. They get gifts. They become great themselves. Regions are named after them. Ishmael will become a great nation. But nothing compares to being a child of the promise. Nobody has anything close. None of the other sons have anything close to what Isaac has. It was all through Isaac that this promise would continue. And it would continue all the way down to a man named Jesus, the true offspring of the promise, the one and only Son of God Himself. In Him, all the promises of God will be fulfilled and all the nations of the world would be blessed. And now through faith in Christ, God's Son, we ourselves can become sons and daughters of God. This is... uh, what we might call sonship, that we become children of God. And this is a priceless privilege. This is a privilege that we are children of God. So here's what we're led to consider. It is a priceless privilege to be a child of God through Christ. It's a priceless privilege to be a child of God through Christ. And we might think it would be an awesome privilege to be the child of some famous or powerful or wealthy person. And it would. But it wouldn't come close to being a child of God. Think about if you were the child of a multimillionaire. All the privilege that would be involved in that. I think of, uh, what's the big mansion over? uh, Biltmore Estates. Yeah, have you been to the Biltmore Estates? It is amazing. You have a huge swimming, I mean a huge swimming pool. You have a bowling alley. You have all kinds of uh, just fun activities you could do in your own house. It'd be like living in the factory down the road in Wake Forest. To be a child of a multimillionaire, unless your father made you, you wouldn't have to do that much work, right? You just get to enjoy all the blessings of being a child of this man could drive what you wanted when you turned 16, have your college paid for in full, get a job at his company when you graduate, and to top it all off, you get the inheritance when he dies. What a privilege it would be to be a child of a multimillionaire, and yet that does not come close to being a child of God. What can we say about this privilege of being a child of God? Notice uh, four things about this privilege of being a child of the promise, a child of God. First notice its exclusive nature. It's exclusive in nature. This privilege of being a child of God is exclusive in nature. It means not everyone has it. Not everyone gets to be a child of God, a child of the promise. In our text, Abraham has many sons, but only one son got the inheritance. He has many sons, but not all of them got to stay with him. Only one was blessed by God. In the same way, not all people, as we have distinguished already, are children of God. Not all people receive the special blessing and favor of God. It's exclusive in nature. It's reserved for those who are the spiritual offspring of Abraham. It's for those who receive the promises of God by faith. So listen to Romans 9, verses 6 through 8. Paul makes this clear. Not all who are descended from Israel, that means the the ethnic line of Israel, 
are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the natural children of Israel who are God's children. It's the children of the promise, those of faith who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. So also in Galatians 3.29, If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. So in other words, it's only those people who belong to Christ which are the children of God. What this means that it's if you have not come to a point of spiritual desperation and called upon Christ to save you, to forgive you, then you are not a child of God. Rather, you are an enemy of God. See, there's no greater privilege to be a child of God, but there's no worse tragedy to be an enemy of God. We don't like having enemies of any kind, right? It's not fun to have an enemy, especially if it's an enemy who has power or authority over you. How much worse to have God, the almighty creator of heaven and earth, the judge of heaven and earth, to be your enemy. It'd be a terrifying thing. And without Christ, that's what you are. That's what we all are on our own. What's more, it's what we deserve. To be enemies of God. To be cast out of God's presence like Adam and Eve were. To be sent away from the land of promise. To be separated from God's goodness and love and mercy. That's what you have earned by your sins. Even this past week, you have rebelled against God's law. Think about ways you have done that. By cursing someone on the road. By thinking in your heart, having hate towards someone else, by lusting after others, by lying or stealing, by disobeying your parents. This is what God has said a life of faith will look like. And we have broken those good laws. And by that we have become his enemies. But if you are in Christ, you have become a child of God. Consider what a privilege this is. Though we have earned enemy status, He has made us sons by the blood of Christ. This is priceless. This is a priceless privilege to be a child of God. We who were enemies have become sons and daughters of God, and it's not our work. It's a work of grace. It's all of grace. It's not by our merit. It's by his mercy. So this is the second thing I want you to notice about this amazing privilege of being God's children. First, it is exclusive in nature, but second, it's divine in origin. It has an origin which is divine. That means it comes from God, not from man. So we immediately recognize this blessing in verse 11. God blesses Isaac. This blessing is from God, not from man. It's, in fact, it's after Abraham has died that God blesses Isaac. To be blessed by God means to have his favor. To have him look upon you with favor. Remember, it was true of Abraham that he was blessed by God in all that he did. God had showed Abraham favor. God's favor rested upon him. And really, God is the source of Abraham's inheritance. 
Technically, it came from Abraham. It was his stuff that was passed down to Isaac. But where did it all come from? He had it because of the gift of God. And where did Isaac, his heir, come from? It was all of God from first to last. This privilege that Isaac had of being the child of the promise, it was all divine in origin. It came from God. And it's the same with us who are in Christ. It's the same with us who are in Christ. This privilege we have of being God's children has come from God and not ourselves. It is not deserved by anything we have done. It's simply because of His love and mercy. It's all of grace. Now this idea of election or God's choosing is throughout Scripture. And it's here in Genesis. Why did Abraham get the privilege of being the father of many nations? Well, God called Abraham out of Ur. Why did he call him out of Ur? Because he was better, more faithful than others? No, it was simply God's pleasure to choose Abraham. Why did Isaac get to be the child of promise? Well, because God chose it to be that way. Some, some things are beyond our scope of understanding. We don't know. It was in his good pleasure to do so. Why did Jacob become the son of promise, even though Esau, his brother, his twin brother, was born first? Well, in Romans chapter 9, we see, we see that it was so that God's purpose of election might stand. It's by God's mercy, not by man's efforts. It's by God's grace, not by man's goodness. So if you are in Christ, I hope you recognize that this privilege of being God's child has all come from God, and it is all of grace. This doctrine humbles us, far far from making us proud or arrogant at being chosen by His good pleasure. It causes us to wonder why. Why? Why me? What good is there in me that He would choose me? What good did he see in me that he would save me? And the answer is, well, none, actually. It was just because of his good pleasure. And it it shows the extravagance of his grace. That he would save us while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies of God, that he would send his son to die on the cross for our sins. It was because of his good pleasure and this Amazing nature of grace humbles us. No one on the planet deserves to be chosen as a child of God. That's the whole point. That's what grace is. God takes those of us who are rebellious enemies and molds their hearts until they are children who love Him. You you may have heard the song called Thank You, uh, Jesus. It's a sovereign grace Song And it captures this idea because it's all about Christ and for His glory. The chorus of the song just simply says, Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath, His anger against sin. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Now listen to this part. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. He takes us from being enemies to his very dinner table and welcomes us into his presence by his mercy and grace. And this is why we Christians ought to be the most thankful and least complaining people on the planet. Think about even this last week. 
and our tendency to grumble and complain. And then when you consider the priceless privilege of being a child of God, what is there to grumble about? The only reason we are saved or forgiven in the first place is by His grace. He has lavished His grace upon His children. What a privilege it is to be a child of the promise. Third, notice its unique benefits. So it's exclusive in nature, it's divine in origin, and it has unique benefits. Now, I won't take too long to cover this point, because we've already seen this to some extent. In our text, Isaac is the son of promise. He gets the benefits that none of the other sons gets. He gets the inheritance while others get gifts. He gets to remain in the land of promise while the others are sent away. And he gets the blessing of God while to the others God is silent. And brothers and sisters, as God's children, we get no fewer benefits than this. How much more do we receive the gifts from God, the blessings of God, having seen Christ and His goodness and grace towards us? Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Do you want a spiritual blessing? God has granted them all in Christ. Every spirit, do you feel like you lack some spiritual blessing? Everything you ha- need is found in Christ. God is faithful And we are told in 2 Corinthians that all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. That means every promise God has made to His people has been fulfilled in Christ. And we, through faith, inherit everything that belongs to Christ. Particularly, consider the benefits you have that correspond to Isaac's situation. You, as a child of God through Christ, have an inheritance being kept in you kept for you, guarded for you in heaven. You have the presence of God dwelling in you by the Holy Spirit. What a privilege that God would be present with us by His Spirit. He will never leave or forsake you, and you have the blessing of God. God looks upon you in Christ with favor. You have His favor. And this doesn't mean you're going to necessarily get the car you want or the job you want or the promotion you It's not that sort of blessing. This is spiritual blessing. This is peace with God, forgiveness of sins, the promise of eternal life. This is all yours in Christ. This means when God looks upon you and sees the work of Christ, His perfect life, His death on the cross for sinners, His resurrection from the dead, when He looks upon you with the uh, work of Christ applied to you, He says, this is my child, with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved child, in whom I am well pleased. But don't miss this part about faith because it's absolutely essential to receiving this privilege of being a child of God. We've seen 
that it's exclusive in nature, divine in origin, and unique in its benefits, but take note of its personal reception. This is a privilege that must be received by faith. And we see this in the broader scope of the scripture when it, point, when it comes to Isaac. We don't see it much yet, but Isaac continues, as Abraham did, to believe in the promises of God. Maybe we got a sense of it when Abraham offered Isaac up on the altar. We get no hint of struggle from Isaac, simply obeying his father to do what he knew was best, trusting in his father, perhaps even trusting in God himself in the midst of it. And in chapter 26, God gives a command to Isaac and he obeys it, trusting, living by faith rather than sight. This is what it means to be a child of the promise. This is what it means to come into the family of God, to be a part of the offspring of Abraham. Abraham is the man of faith, and all who come to God through faith in Christ are children of God. So maybe you've heard all that I've said this morning and basically agreed to it. You've assented to it. Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds right. But what you might not realize is that merely assenting to the facts of what has happened in Christ is not what saves you or makes you a child of God. James tells us, and we'll look at it before too long, James tells us that the demons believe that there is one God, and yet we know that the demons are not children of God. They shudder when they think about God being the all-powerful. They shudder to think about His might. So merely assenting to the facts that Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross and rose from the dead, does not save you. The word is faith, trust, reliance upon resting in Christ to save you, and then you become a child of God. Resting in Christ and His work on the cross for you. You see, ultimately this text points us to Christ. Christ is the unique Son of God. Really the truer and better Isaac. So think about it. Isaac was the favored son of Abraham, but Christ is the one and only Son of God in human flesh. Isaac's sonship was from God, but Christ is not simply from God. He is God. Isaac received unique blessings from God that he might be an heir to the promises, but Christ received unique curses from his Father for our sins, that we might be adopted into God's family. True sons and daughters of God. That's what adoption is. Adoption is not bringing someone into your family as a kind of son or daughter but as true sons and daughters. I'll never forget when we adopted Isaiah and Janet and we got a declaration that said, this is legal, this is firm. It's a, sta- it's a beautiful statement. I should have brought it with you, with me so I could read it to you. It's a beautiful statement saying, all the rights, all the in- inheritance, everything belongs to your children as if they were your children because they are your children. And when you become a child of God through faith in Christ, it's not like you are God's child. You are God's true son, God's true daughter. 
So I asked the question that I began with this morning. Are you a child of God? And if you are, glory in the privilege of being a child of the promise. But if you aren't, receive Christ and His work by faith, and you can be rest assured that you are a child of God. And what a privilege it is. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we cannot begin to understand what a privilege it is to be your children. <clears throat> and so I pray that you would, you would sanctify us, that we would understand. That we would under, understand the depths of our own sin. The depths of our own way, waywardness. Our own rebellion against you. And then show us the depths of your love for sinners which moved you to give your son, your only son, to die, to be sacrificed, that, that we might become a part of the family of God. And Father, I pray for those who are here this morning who recognize that they are not children of the promise, that they haven't come to you through faith. And I pray that you would draw them to yourself that they would come to repentance and faith in Christ. Father, I pray for your children this morning who have not been living in light of the gospel, who have been living as enemies rather than children. I pray that you would bring them, bring us to conviction, bring us to repentance, that we would align ourselves once again with this truth, this promise that in, in Christ we are your children. Mold us, shape us, that we would walk in your ways. As a, as a son walks in his father's footsteps, calls us to walk in your ways and so bring you glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.